Big Sloth. You can hear me. Let's use our outside voices, all right? You tracked me down? It was easier than I thought. Like GPS, but in my head. Look, I don't mean any offense, but this day and age, a grown man sitting with a teenage girl on a park bench. I'm Aberstone, and if anyone asks, you're my uncle, Uncle Dan. And that's not even a lie. Not totally. You're magic, like me. I don't know about magic. I, I always called it The Shining. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we look for their silver lining. And uh, it's the month of October, and I'm bummed that we couldn't come up with a theme for this month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. There was, there's nothing inherent. You know, some months are just like that. It's like, what, you know, flag day. I don't know. What are yeah. we going to do with that? You know? I mean, what are we going to do? Watch the happening when Arbor Day happens? Like, come on. Yeah. Actually, well, that's an idea. That's not bad. But I mean, we do maligned movies, though. I mean, why would okay, we do the happening? That's, that's touche. <laughs> Universally uh, critically acclaimed, the happening. Uh, set the record for most Academy Awards by a single motion picture. It won all of them. Like, even Every foreign single film. One I don't, I don't even yeah. know how it works. Yeah. It, it won best documentary short subject. Mm-hmm. Because the behind-the-scenes uh, footage. Right, right, right. right. The uh, making of DVD documentary special feature. Yeah. It, really, it had a lot of twists and turns, that Shyamalan. He got us. <laughs> he got, right. us with, got us. Anyways, uh, we're doing horror movies, scary stuff, mm-hmm. things that go bump in the night. Yep. And we we found one this week that... Uh, this is uh, one of the newer newer movies that we've done, like yeah. just in general. Uh, and this is a movie I was curious about because I had heard very mixed reviews. I, I knew some people that really liked it. I knew some people that did not. I know it kind of came and went in the box office without, uh, you know, m- much acclaim and then sort of was discovered later, it felt like. Yeah, this, uh, I think the way this movie was maligned was... And how little of a dent it made in the box office. Because the reviews are sort of smack in the middle. Yeah. For the most part, like, it's... Um, and weirdly, it's not like there the, uh, there's a lot of mediocre reviews. I feel like a lot of the reviews are either, this is good or this isn't good. Yeah. Like, it's 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 not a lot of, like, eh, it's all right. Um, but either way, the, to not beat around the bush anymore, the movie we're talking about this week is Dr. Sleep... The sequel to both the book and the movie, The Shining. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, that's it. Uh, you know, definitely, you know, they spent a lot of time and energy finding people that looked like people that were in <laughs> the movie, The Shining. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is quite a quite a movie. I know that you you've said before, right? You're you're a pretty big Stephen King fan, right? Yeah, I I um I would say. I probably haven't read a Stephen King book in years and years, but like when I was like high school age, I definitely sort of read a lot of the big ones. Um, I would put, I would still put the stand as one of my favorite books. Uh, I think it's really great. Um, 
And I think uh, if you're not a Stephen King fan or if you haven't read Stephen King, read his short stories because that's his best work. Like most authors that write both short and long <laughs> fiction, uh, their short stories, when they're able to trim a lot of the dead weight, tends to be a little bit better. But uh, his short stories are really great. There's three or four different collections, and they're all, you know, really good. Um, and I, th- I think Stephen King, you know, there's a lot of books that you can tell he was on all the cocaine when mm-hmm. he wrote them. Yep. The one about the car and, that attacks people, for sure. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> you know, most of the books he wrote in the 80s, um, and he's... You know, Stephen King, I think, is an excellent writer, and he gets a bad rap for just how prolific he is. Mm-hmm. But anybody that turns out that much work, there's going to be varying degrees of quality from the top from the top to the bottom. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, that's inevitable. And uh, two things that I want to say: one, uh, trimming the fat and uh, condensing things down might be a good thing to to stick a pin into and to come back around as we talk more about this movie, uh, which was two and a half hours long on the cut that we watched, which is not the director's cut, which is three hours long. Which, side note, if I can just have a moment here, stop making movies three hours long. Yes, please. <laughs> Unless they're Avengers Endgame, and then uh, I'll I'll take three hours of cgi punching of thanos but uh you know absolutely other than, other than that we could you could trim i could find spots in this movie uh to i, I can't maybe avengers endgame is one of the few movies that there's not a lot i would want to cut from that three hour runtime yeah but when i think about like long movies uh and i think martin scorsese is the worst offender at this of packing a a two hour movie into a three hour package. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please don't make like, what about like two hours? That's a good length for a movie Two. I mean, even I I'll accept two and a half sometimes, but yeah. this movie is a good example of a two and a half hour movie that didn't need to be two and a half hours. This one is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a little curious to watch the director's cut though. I probably won't. Just to just to see like sort of, I know I feel like they told I feel like they said it all in this, and I haven't read the book, so I can't speak to maybe there's some subplots and things they left out, which always happens when you're adapting books to movies. But well, and I'm I'm curious too because uh, you know Stephen King famously did not really like the film adaptation of The Shining because it, it's a pretty wild departure in, in a lot of ways from the book you know it was, it was kubrick kubrickine uh so yeah. i but so i'm just curious again also having not read the book i'm like i'd be curious the the task of sort of reconciling you know the obviously there's a, a lot of this is really leaning into the movie you know what we remember from the movie versus like you know how how much of that they had to sort of you know in some ways it is a standalone story that like until the end doesn't really tie much into the previous work but i i'm just curious what kind of concessions or changes had to happen to make the movie version work yeah uh i i definitely am curious to read the book now um because I, I, the Shining book is also fantastic uh, and completely a separate entity from the movie. Yeah. Other than other than character names and uh, a few other things, it they're two really wildly different stories. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I'd say that's just what I'm saying is like, I'm curious how you, you know, you base this on a book. I, you know, in some ways, I think it's trying to, you know, find a middle ground between everything, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I will to talk about the the original Shining movie for a bit. Uh, I am a Stanley Kubrick fan. Uh, I enjoy his movies. I like watching them. Uh, but I would say one critique of mine of Stanley Kubrick is I feel like the parts of Stanley Kubrick movies are less than, or don't add up to the whole. The whole is like less than the sum of its parts. Like every movie has some amazing moments uh, and like these great things and revolutionary and deserve to be, you know, revered the way they are. But then when you think like step back and look at the whole package, like there's, I don't know. It just doesn't, it's not as great as like looking at the individual scenes. Like when you think about the best scenes in 2001 or the best scenes in the shining or full metal jacket. Uh, and you remember those and those may, those really stand out for you and they're really great. Um, but then if you like actually think about the whole movies, like there's a lot of, I don't want to say dead weight, but there's a lot of stuff that you're like, Oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. That's not as good as the good stuff. I, I would tend to agree with that, although possibly muddying the waters. Uh, I The Shining, I think, is my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. I really enjoy it. And and it feels the most complete to me of his movies. But I totally relate to what you're saying uh, in general. And I think it's true of that movie as well. I just... It works for me. I really like The Shining. Uh, although, actually, that's not true. My favorite Stanley Kubrick film ever is The Moon Landing. I think he really crushed yeah, so that. Yeah, that's the best. He nailed that. Yeah. No, 100%. And, but get it. It's like what you were saying about short stories. That one's really concise. You know, right. it's just, you know, he it's didn't have a lot of time. Long. He didn't have a lot of time on that soundstage. You know, like. Yeah, definitely the best one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's my second favorite. Uh, I like Doctor Strangelove a little better than The Moon Landing. Yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> Doctor Strangelove is also really good. But also, <laughs> I would agree, has a lot of parts that you, you know, like, uh, not dead weight, but whatever you want to call them. Uh, Peaks and Valleys. Yeah. Which in, is in funny. Movies. Which is funny, too, because I, I've read a fair amount of Stephen King uh, books, and he is also someone prone to uh sort of taking some turns and like uh meandering a bit in his fiction so uh but yeah yeah i will say uh even though we're not talking about the shining although they're it's very much related uh one big one of the my big issues with the shining i think one of the reasons it's not my favorite is i think one of the best things about the book is that like the main character, Jack Torrance, has this like sort of good put together exterior, but he has his demons and then they come out and he's a totally different person. Whereas Jack Nicholson is just a demon. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, there's like not when much you watch of a that turn. Movie, like, oh, this guy goes crazy and tries to axe murder people. Yeah, that makes sense. Whereas in the book, it seems like it sort of amplifies his alcoholism. And obviously the movie is the, the book more so than the movie is an allegory for alcoholism and, and all of that. But yeah, I would just say too, I mean, when you cast Jack Nicholson, you've made a choice of, the, Oh yeah. Like there is no arc of Jack Nicholson starting from a point of normal. And I say that he's one of my favorite actors of all time. Oh, absolutely. But, no, hundred percent. But, uh, but yeah, like you're, you're making a specific choice about the performance that you want. <laughs> Right. You know, you're, you, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Um, you're doing it very intentionally. He's a great actor and he's great in that movie. I mean, he is, you know, terrifying when he's supposed to be evil, but he's also like just sadistic the whole time. It seems like, 
Um, yeah, and that's uh, my mom actually really hates the Shining movie because she loves the book so much, and it just can't like can't get over the fact that like why didn't you tell this great story? Why did you tell this other story that's also good? But yeah, um, it, it's it's not a good adaptation. No matter, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that's just true. Like it's yeah. not. But you it's know, it's a that, great movie. Yeah. but it's not a good adaptation. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, like the movie adaptation is probably not a great adaptation, but it's a really good movie. It happens, right? You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, hundred percent. Uh, so let's talk about Doctor Sleep, though. Let's let's get into that. Uh, so this movie picks up. 20 odd years after uh, the shining, the events of the shining, we get a brief recap of some of the highlights of the shining at the beginning. Yeah. And then, um, and then we, we meet up with Danny Torrance. Now just Dan, you know, he's grown, he's matured. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah. just Dan now. <laughs> um, and he also has similar, uh, issues with alcoholism and addiction that his father did, uh, lives a, a rough and tumble lifestyle. Yeah. Has some, has some issues, but then he gets better. And, uh, through the help of AA and Cliff Curtis. Yep. Yeah. No, he, uh, he, he starts at a, a, a rough point of, you know, uh, we, we pick up with him after like a night of just every bad decision one could make. And, uh, but yeah, um, so let's I, I I'm trying to figure out where to start because I well I guess maybe I'll just straight up ask like what 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 is what did you think of this movie? <laughs> I liked it. I thought yeah. it was, I, I enjoyed watching it. I think it was it was it was um it was good. Uh, if I I think if I loved it, I would go back and watch the director's cut. I don't know that I'm gonna do that, but uh, maybe at some point down the line. But yeah, I I, I enjoyed this movie on the whole. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it too. I I'm kind of surprised watching it that it really did come and go as we said, like that it it really just didn't have a huge impact. Uh there there's definitely some things that stand out to me that I imagine maybe you have some too that we'll we'll probably nitpick a little bit here at the beginning before getting to all of our silver linings, but uh but yeah, I I enjoyed it. I and I'd say it's probably fair to say that I enjoyed the end of it more than the beginning. I thought I liked the opening scene and then I was kind of uh, like the first hour or so I was a little like, I'm not sure what we're doing here. <laughs> like, and I was, but I, I felt yeah. like it picked up a lot uh, as things sort of settled in and we like went towards the end of the movie. Yeah. That's a, a thing with this movie. Like it's too long, like way that's, too long. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like parts of it super drag, but then there's also parts of it that super feel rushed. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, I think you probably had to like cut some, you know, like either find a way to just streamline the story more so you could give more time to things that needed time. Cause it covers a lot of ground, but it's just, there's a lot of time spent on places that like, I don't know that we needed to, to spend. Yeah. And there's, there's a big part of it that's spent with, uh, cause Dan Torrance gets a job as an orderly at a hospice care facility. And um, because he has that, that shining as Mm -hmm. it were um, is able to sort of spend people's last moments and make sure that they're not alone, which is wonderful, but has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah. That's, it's a whole subplot that again, feels very Stephen King in that, like 
you know, I imagine it was in the book in that 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 feels like a detour that Stephen King very much goes would go down <laughs> to sort of be like, what is true about Danny Torrance? Let's spend some time with this. But it's yeah, ultimately, it doesn't serve the story. It, it's a cool, you know, I and maybe some of that is maybe we could have picked up with him, you know, after he was already because we started a point and then we jump, I think, like eight years to right. like eight years sober but like maybe he could just be eight years sober and working as an orderly do we need to see him get there necessarily right do we need we could see his sort of the flashbacks of the ghosts that he always sees could that be how we know about just rock bottom do we need to see that rock bottom moment yeah so just yeah some stuff like that there's also just some scenes that really go on too long i felt like like the the astral plane stuff i was like the the one scene where we have uh the villain um you know sort of trying to get into the mind of you you know like when they're doing that and she's like kind of like floating through space i at first i was like this looks really cool this is cool and then it's like oh she's still she's still still floating okay so she's still floating okay oh she's floating Center passes to wing. Yeah. <laughs> back to center. Center holds it. Holds yeah. it. Yeah, there's a little holds. bit of it. Yeah, like that where it was like I don't know if you just thought it like it visually it looked really cool, but I'm like, you're that you don't need to to do this this long. Yeah. Um, and that I think ties into the other the sort of so that's one plot is that Danny Torrance is Dr. Sleep because he spends time with people as they're passing away. Mm-hmm. Uh does that's just a this is what's up with Dan. Uh the other <laughs> subplot there is a group called the Knot of Truth. That sounds right. Yeah. Is that something like that? I I wish I knew it exactly what it was. Um but they're essentially vampires, but or they're vampiric but not vampires in that they uh feed off of the life energy of people with various psychic powers shining whatever uh and they use that to extend their life the and then, true knot is that I, I the true we, knot yeah they're the called true the true knot. knot there we go all right i like knot of truth better but the yeah, true yeah. knot yeah um and they uh they murder a lot of children so they're the bad guys yeah which just to to tie it in that was another note that i had of you really spent a long time on the child murder scene, you know, which, which is important. Hey, like you're killing a kid that plays baseball. Uh, you got Jacob Tremblay, the, you know, who I hope he's really happy in real life because he has a knack for playing <laughs> traumatized children in movies. Uh, but that scene was another one that just like really, I was like, oh, they're still killing him. Okay. So he's be okay. He's screaming. They're really like all pinning him down and, and, Oh, there's still okay. He's still dying. Okay, and now that steam. Yeah, now Abra is watching him die, and she's upset by it. And it's okay. It's still happening, and she's still upset. (laughs) But like that was another scene that could have been about half the time that Mm -hmm. they spent. You know, and that's that's sort of the third plot line or whatever is you have uh, Abra who uh, has a very powerful shine, Mm -hmm. and she eventually crosses paths or raises the ire of the true knot and they try to get her and Dan tries to save her. And that's basically our movie. Yep. Yeah. Because also she's connected to Dan 
uh, in the way that he was connected uh, to the, I can't remember the name of the character, but he who appears in this the the groundskeeper from the original right. Shining. Uh goodness gracious! Uh, Scatman Crothers is who played him in the movie, and I'll yeah. always think of it as 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 Scatman Crothers because that's the best actor name ever. Yes, uh, and yeah, his "What's Up, Doc?" I always like yeah, the way Dick he Halloran did it. is the as the character's yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so in the same way, they were connected. She's uh, Abra is connected to Dan, and they. And, and what I th- I think is one of the more clever things in the movie, like he has a chalkboard wall uh, in his apartment. You know, his loft that he's renting out that they communicate using, which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of cool stuff like that. Um, and it eventually, uh, because the True Knot are a bunch of child murderers, Dan and Abra and Cliff Curtis decide that they're going to have to kill them mm-hmm. using their powers. And then uh, it doesn't go great. And so they decide the only way to actually take care of business is to take them to the shiniest place on Earth, the Overlook <laughs> Hotel. And uh, that will be a way to finally put an end to the true knot. Mm-hmm. And that's the movie. And they, and they win <laughs> spoilers, I guess. Spoilers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening to a movie podcast <laughs> and you're like, Oh, they, they spoiled the movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just the same way we talked to the guy about Frankenstein's monster spoiler guy. Listen, we know you're out there. We yeah. Know you're listening. Yeah. You're listening look- to a movie podcast. We're going to talk. We're going to be spoiling plot plot points of the movie in order to evaluate and find those silver linings. And in fairness, Andy didn't even mention that Danny dies at the end. So like we right, saved that. I didn't that. spoil that at all. Yeah, yeah. So like. <laughs> so that is an unspoiled moment for you. Yeah. Yeah. So. You won't you won't know that he goes to the boiler room and, it, you know, catches on fire and dies. Yeah. That he is able to overcome his personal demons mm-hmm. and allow the overlook to explode. Yeah, which I was really glad uh, since we're talking about the end that the they showed the police lights coming because I did have that moment where I was like, how is Abra going to get home? But luckily, the police, uh, I guess, saw the fire. Yeah, I mean, they had a car. She could maybe figure out how to drive it through feats of snow. I mean, yeah, those are snowy conditions and she is too young to drive. So, right. I mean, she is. She's probably 14. So yeah. maybe she's had a couple of drives in a parking lot. <laughs> she has not driven down a closed mountain overpass road in outside of Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I also don't. She threw her phone out the window and she doesn't. I don't know that she knows where she is. So even if she gets down that cliff, I don't know where she's going. Right. She's just not. That's yeah. So, so yes, that was nice that they implied about how she was able to save herself. Yeah. All right. But yeah. So what else? Like I said, I think we're both pretty pretty fond of this movie overall, and we've definitely talked about uh, the length of the movie. And again, it, it's hard when you're adapting a novel, particularly a Stephen King novel, but definitely you gotta... I can't imagine the three-hour cut, but the two-and-a-half-hour cut felt too long, you know? So I, I would have been okay if we could have gotten a two-hour cut of this movie. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I would have been... I think you could have told this movie in two hours, not left out much. It makes me curious, uh, did the book connect Danny's Dr. Sleepness to the overall plot a little bit more? Yeah. Well, because, again, it's called Dr. Sleep. And, yeah, it, besides that being the name for Danny, it doesn't 
thematically tie all that much. Yeah, maybe there's more with the boxes and the knowing people are going to die. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 it's it's up in the air because it wasn't. That just felt like a a background bit of a piece of information for how little background was given about everybody else. And when you think about like, I would say that Dan Torrance is a protagonist of the story, but he's not the protagonist. No, this kind of follows, uh, you know, it has a similar arc to like, um, the professional or Wolverine or, or a movie like that, where it's sort of, you have the older protagonist who's there, uh, and in all of these examples, it's specifically a girl that there's sort of there's a young girl that's special that they are sort of giving their life to protect. That's definitely like a certain type of archetype where it's like there's two protagonists, but it's really about the the older mentor one saving the younger one. Right. Um, yeah. So. Mm. Um, yeah, when I try to think about why this movie was maligned. I have to assume the length is the big thing is that a lot of people didn't want to sit for almost three hours in a movie theater to watch a Stephen King movie. But I think both it's are quite long part one and part two of it are both really long. I don't know. Um, and those movies are like right on the edge of being topics for this podcast at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're right. They're, they're clo- they're, they might be a little bit outside, but they're, we could probably push them inside without, without too much. Um, yeah, I would, I would say like, I don't know. I thought overcoming most of the true knot seemed too easy. And I like that, like how, like they killed all but two of them in one scene. I was okay with it. I I really liked that scene though. I did really like that scene is like a, a moment in time I thought was really good, but I don't know. It just felt like. We almost got them all. But wait, the real big bad wasn't there. And I don't know. Like it felt that that was an aspect that I thought had the runtime been more like sort of single handedly taking out members of of the true knot, maybe that would have been a more dynamic way to fill two and a half hours. Yeah. Cutting some of the other slower stuff. Like the really long time spent murdering Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> I I will also say I mean for me you know when it got to the end I I got what we were doing but I I did have a little bit of that watching it of just it felt odd to me of you know like why this was the story that we were telling you know like it, it you know and again I I've never read the Shining the book so I I, I don't know as much about that but like. With the movie, you know, it just sort of was like, oh, like, why are we doing this? Why, why are we telling this story of Dan Torrance? And then, like I said, once they went back to the Overlook and, uh, you know, sort of had the final showdown, it, it worked more for me. And I, it, like, I could kind of see what they were doing with, you know, the way he mirrored his dad, you know, and was trying to over. But like, I don't know. It just when you have like vampire people going around you know, like murdering children. That feels like a weird departure of like, yeah, I mean, this does feel like it takes place, I guess, in the same world. But, you know, why is this the sequel (laughs) to The Shining? Right. Like the, uh, The Shining itself, both the book and the movie, uh, if you look at like sort of the classic conflicts, it's man versus the supernatural and man versus self. Like those are the two conflicts in the book. 
and yeah. the movie. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. Um, this one, it's, it's essentially, I mean, it's man versus the supernatural because these people have unnatural powers, but it's essentially man versus man in that it's, you know, uh, Abra and Danny versus the true not. Yeah. And they're basically hunting each other and trying to out, you know, like sort of like Sun Tzu art of war outmaneuver each other. <laughs> right. And that's it's one of those things that I feel like that type of chess match is probably much better read than watched. Yeah, which I mean, but I will say I liked a lot of it. Like they they had some fun with it, you know, when there's moments like uh, when they think that they got Abra, but it's actually a teddy bear, like uh, using their supernatural stuff was fun, right. you know, but yeah, like I, yeah, the brinksmanship. Yeah, it's, it was sort of hit or miss, you know? Yeah. And I would say it was like both the hits were pretty solid. The misses were like near misses. It wasn't like they're wild, you know, wild pitch runner steals home type situations. They were like, they were, they're pretty much on target. Like they were a little bit off, just kind of like, okay. Um, and because, and again, you know, I'm sure in the book, some of the other members of the true knot are a little more developed, but you have Rose, the hat, great name. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I love Rose. The hat as a name for a villain. That is good. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, and the best name in the whole movie, Crow Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> no, Crow That's Daddy's great. great. Yeah. And then Snakebite Annie. So the the True Knot has the names like boom, down. I mean, they're competing against Abra and Danny. Yeah. Come on. Which I'm Ab- taking I'm taking Rose the Hat, Crow Daddy, and Snakebite Annie all day. <laughs> yeah. No, Abra, I mean, I they thread that nicely of why she has that name, but it's just yeah, it's not a great name overall. No, it's not. Um, yeah, and Dan Torrance just has some serious, like, you know, I don't know. I knew that guy where you, like, grew up with him and he had a nickname and then you run into him years later and he's like, oh, it's Dan now. I'm Dan right. Torrance now. And it's like, okay, Danny. Oh, yeah, whatever, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I knew a guy named Scooter when we were kids. Oh, he's got to still be Scooter. But he tried He tried to, to like- pivot. It's like, my name is Fred. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, I, I don't have a lot more. There's one other thing that I want to talk about in the maligned portion of the show. And then I do think we can pivot. Yeah, and, I think that's accurate. But and I it's tough. Look, I mean, you're you're doing a sequel, like you said, both to a book, but also to a Stanley Kubrick movie that is, you know, very etched in people's minds. I'm pretty forgiving in general, and I think overall this movie did a really good job, particularly with the guy who was playing the Scatman Crothers like lookalike. Uh, Carl Lumley did a great job playing that. He was like dead on, yeah. Yeah, I think most of them were good, but man, when the Jack Nicholson lookalike showed up, like he looked enough like him, but you can't find a guy who can do the voice. Like, you, you know, what's you know who that was? Who was it? It was Henry Thomas Elliot from E.T. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he, like I said, he looks a fair amount like him, but he doesn't even try to sound like Jack Nicholson, you know, and and a big part of Jack Nicholson is how he sounds. And like Christian Slater made an entire career trying to pretend to be Jack Nicholson. Like, you know, yeah. they, you got to find someone 
who can do the voice. I it, it really because I really wanted to like that scene, and I think it would have been a good scene. It's probably a good scene in the book, but like. I was way too distracted by just the uncanny valley of it not being Jack Nicholson or close to Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I don't know what the right choice is there. I, I'm with you. Uh, I was in the IMDb trivia. Director Mike Flanagan said we thought about like just getting an impersonator or something like that, um, but instead we just decided to like go for this more echo of Jack Nicholson because we thought that getting an impersonator would take people out of it even more. And maybe it would have, but I don't. It took me out of it a lot. <laughs> like you know, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you get Elliot to do it, but you just dub the lines. I don't know. Like it just the voice is really what killed it for me. You know. Yeah, because I think I think he had like the the gait and everything. Um, it was know, a good like, performance. He just didn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was sort of like. Kermit the Frog right after Jim Henson died where it just sounded wrong. Yeah, and that's all you're fixated on is like that's not that's, that's not, not Kermit. Yeah. Like that I've gotten that was, so used to it now that like when you hear original Kermit, you're like, oh right. Yeah. That's actually what he sounds like. And um I forget who's doing Kermit now, but he does a great job with it. But it's like Yeah. Like right after Jim Henson passed away, like Kermit just didn't sound right. <laughs> it was a tough time for all of us when Jim Henson passed it away. It was. But, that was yeah. yeah. That might be the first celebrity death that hit me. Probably, yeah. That sounds right. Like, yeah, because um, I was probably in like fourth grade or so at the time, give or take. Yeah, it's a shame because I think we're both big Muppet guys, but all of those movies are perfect, so we can never talk about one on this show. Yeah, every single Muppet movie is absolutely <laughs> flawless. We'll yeah. never talk about a Muppet movie on this show. <sighs> it's a shame. All right, but yeah, so that was that was it. If you're good, we can we can close the book on maligning this movie, and we can talk about some of the positives. Yeah. Um, do, do you want me to start? Because I have, I have a, a few, obviously, because I did enjoy this movie. Do you sure. want me to start with a small, silly silver lining that I have or Always. one of the bigger picture ones? So let's start silly. <laughs> um, I think this is the first time that Carl Stryken has ever spoken on camera, and that made me happy. Um, he's uh, like the the old guy in the True Knot. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because he's most famous for playing Lurch in the Adams Family movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he played a similar role in uh, Star Trek and a few other different things, a couple episodes of Star Trek. But he's normally like this big lumbering, like sort of henchman type. He's he's very typecast because he's a giant Dutchman. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, he spoke lines and I was like, oh, that's nice. He got to talk on camera. He was good, good too. He was great. I, yeah. yeah, I really liked him in this. Like he's of the sort of underdeveloped supporting cast of uh child murderers like he he stood out you know he was very memorable but no that's a good one and yeah lurch always always want lurch to get more work always more lurch uh, i have to give another i have to malign something else and this is maligning myself uh for not realizing that it's snake bite andy not snake bite annie oh and i i mm. should i shouldn't have dropped that ball that was well now we have to redo the intro to the show because we really <laughs> missed an opportunity to <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right, so let's rewind a little bit and go back. Okay. And I'm Snakebite Andy McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Great, we did it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's my small silly silver lining. Uh, do you want to give one of yours for... Well, so since I spent so much time uh, maligning Elliot 
uh, for his Jack Nicholson performance. For me, I think the biggest silver lining is I love this cast. Like, I, yeah. I really like everyone. Uh, Ewan McGregor, obviously, is a great Andy. Uh, you know that or Andy. Now I'm doing it. He's a great Dan. Um, I am a huge fan of Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, mostly because the Mission Impossible movies, which I really love for him. But she was so good in this. Like, just... From the start, like just perfectly creepy and just menacing, and I enjoyed every you know, even when she was floating through the astral plane, I still really enjoyed the performance. No, she did a really great job of like seeming benevolent and seeming good, but clearly being evil. Yeah, like uh, she did a very good job of like almost using dramatic irony to hide her true motives. Like it was, she was, she had a really great performance in this. She was really great. Plus there was something really like, like really disorienting about how charming she was in the movie. I thought, because like at the end when she shows up and like, so you have Dan Torrance and Abra like on the steps and she walks in and she sees him for the first time. And she just does kind of like, who are you handsome? Like of just like, there's this, this so like, great. Yeah. This constant, like, it should be terrifying, but she's also being charming. She's like charming to Abra throughout the movie too, of just like, I might kill you, but also like you kind of are fascinated by me. Like, I don't, like she really, yeah, it's a really good performance. Uh, I also, like I said, I really like the whole cast, but the other one I want to specifically make sure not to forget is, uh, Zahn McLaren, uh, who I've, he, he played Crow Daddy and he, I've seen him in like a few things now. He was in a season of Fargo, uh, and he also popped up in, um, now I'm blanking, another show that I watched. Oh, he went in Westworld. He popped up. Mm. And he, they, it, it, they're all kind of similar to this role, which is just his jam of like, you know, really terrifying, but like giving a lot of depth to the performance, you know, not just like a one note villain, but like an absolutely captivating, uh, really scary guy in everything I've seen him in. No, it's like he plays this part like, you feel like he consciously chose to avoid all the chances to be a good person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like he just really, he's like, you knew that he saw the fork and always took the evil path. Like you just know that that's, that's and, this character. And what's great and why it works is like, so when he has Abra like kidnapped in the van, it, it's wonderful because he's being nice to her because he knows that there's no chance that she can escape. So he's not, like torturing her it's just being very matter of fact of like yeah you're gonna die like and you know but this is always what was gonna happen i we were always gonna capture you so like you're drugged and you can't do anything about it so like i don't know we this can still be a pleasant drive though yeah enjoy the scenery <laughs> yeah <laughs> now he's um yeah and cliff curtis is always still i i love oh cliff yeah curtis. i think he's a yeah. great actor um he's really good in this is sort of the like and he plays uh dan's aa sponsor Yes. Um, and, yeah. you know, and that's, I think, why he's willing to go along with this absolutely bananas thing. Like, oh, wait, there's people that have psychic powers and <laughs> all of uh, this. He's like, all right. Yeah. And Cliff and Curtis, like, we, we just narrowly avoided doing his Die Hard movie. Uh, when we did our unnecessary uh, sequels. We, but he, I really always liked his performance in that, too. Like, I, he's someone that I do enjoy every time he pops yeah. up. Uh, um, and 
And yeah, immediately again, because in, in in a perfect world, I think his role would have been even smaller. But like in a supporting role that doesn't have a ton of screen time, he, you immediately get what he's doing, like him, uh, want him to help. You know, like it's it's real good. Um, I think my big silver lining for this, uh, and it's 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 a flawed silver lining, but um, I think this movie did a really good job of marrying like i said at the top of the show this is a sequel to the book and movie the shining i think it did a good job of being a sequel to both um and like finding ways to sort of interlace and interlock them uh and uh director mike flanagan said he gave stephen king the ending his book ending to the shining in the movie um because the book ends with uh jack redeeming himself by letting the overlook blow up. Whereas in the movie, they just sort of escape. Right. So that's, he let that be the ending. And that was sort of, I think a good way to sort of marry the two. I'm really Um, curious what the end of Dr. Sleep in the book is then. Yeah. I wonder if they, I feel like they have to maybe go back to the site of the overlook or maybe the overlook got rebuilt or yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious because it would feel not satisfying to not like that was to me, uh, you know, again, I, maybe this is a silver lining, but just like I really enjoyed when they got to the overlook and how that was handled. And like, you know, I because it is often a tough thing to sort of you're playing with nostalgia and you're you don't want to lean too heavily on that. But like it needed to feel big that Dan was back there. And I I really liked the stuff with him warming up the the overlook like when he told abra to wait in the car and he kind of had his time going around and setting everything up right yeah um i know i just i just thought like it's it's really hard i think when you're making a sequel to something that's so nostalgic from one source let alone multiple sources uh like an example like the book wicked tries to be a, both a prequel to the Wizard of Oz movie and the Wizard of Oz book, and they're different. And I think that the the book, Wicked, really fails. The musical has some great songs, though. <laughs> uh, but, like, it, it's it's not an easy task, and I thought that that was something that this movie did pretty well, was um, if you're a fan of the book, you can find a lot in this movie to enjoy that are, like, sort of winks and nods to the book. Um, but as far more people are a fan of the movie, because it's, you know, one of the most revered horror movies ever probably probably is the best haunted house movie ever. Like if you really want to parse it out, I think, I don't think that's too much of a stretch, but, um, with just apologies to Vincent price, just in general, like I'm sure, yeah, (laughs) you know, I, I love Vincent price as a character, you know, as a person, but like as a personality. Yeah. But yeah, I think this crushes it. Um, so yeah, but I think, I think this movie does a really good job of, of, honoring both ideas and and making the because if if they just made a sequel to, to if like if he just did a straight adaptation of the book dr sleep i feel like that wouldn't have been allowed to get made no and people wouldn't want that like you know if if, if there were no like if plus like i mean this is a two and a half hour movie and it sort of relied on us to, to you know, which, by the way, like, I did, I did think it, like, one of the things is, sorry, we were past the maligning part, but I really loved the shot where Ewan McGregor's Dan Torrance looked through 
uh, oh, the door. Yeah. But then they immediately like follow that up by showing a clip from the original Shining, you know, of like her. And I was like, yeah, we know. Like, this is one of the most famous shots in it's the all cover of, of the movies. DVD. <laughs> yeah. Like, people know what this is. Just trust us to know what it is. Cause I was like, I loved him looking through it and then felt like it was immediately undercut by not trusting the audience to get it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, there's so many iconic images from that movie to, to make them look different. You would have had to spend time being like, well, this guy's his dad. Well, this is what the, actually the overlook. Well, this is actually like, versus we, we have an idea of what all this stuff looks like because of the original movie. And so we weren't no, like nobody wants that. I, even Stephen King probably doesn't want, I mean, maybe he does, but I like, I feel like most people, even if you want to kind of retcon it and make a better sequel that's truer to the book, you just, we want the movie to look like the previous movie. We just do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I feel like Stephen King would rather the original movie be closer to his book. Yeah. A la the Stephen Weber miniseries that came out in like the mid to late 90s of The Shining. But look, if you aged up Stephen Weber and, you know, like made that Dr. Sleep, no one's happy with that. Yeah, no one. Except maybe Stephen Weber, but. Yeah. We can always use more Stephen Weber in our lives. I think that's. I watched a lot of Wings after school, so I'm. Same. Yeah. Big, big Stephen Weber fan. Um. He actually sat behind him at a Broadway show once. Nice. He has, he's very skinny. <laughs> very. Like, that's about all I have to say. And uh, Tony Shalhoub was in the play, so it was like a little Wings reunion. Oh, yeah. You and... <laughs> Me, the fan of watching Wings. Yeah. Watching someone who I watched on Wings, watching someone who was on Wings. That is, yeah. I mean... That's, if that's not a reunion, I don't know what is. <laughs> um... <laughs> The sad part is Tim Daly couldn't get tickets. Yeah, no, he was. God, he was there. He was there in the Wilk in the uh, standby line, and just no one would help him out. Yeah, poor guy. Thomas Hayden Church gave him the finger. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. It is, that's a whole different podcast. But the fact that the two supporting people on Wings had the biggest post Wings career will forever be fascinating to me. That yeah, it's, it's Tony Shalhoub and Thomas Hayden Church have done, like, so much, you know, like, not that everyone else has worked, but it's just, like, they, they had the big careers, like, you know. Right. They <laughs> were nominated for awards and did yeah. famous work and are, bu- are beloved known household names to some, to some extent, whereas Tim Daly and Steven Weber are still the Hackett boys. Yep. Uh, but so I I don't want to lose too much track of this podcast. I want to just say this. I think we're done good on silver linings. I think overall, we both really enjoyed it. I like those spoons. Uh, yeah, (laughs) that was a cool, like visual effect. Uh, when we were introduced to Abra, uh, Abra, and by the way, the worst children's magician that I've ever seen in terms of like Abra as a child, very like you know just sweetly says like i can do that and he like it's like okay whatever it's like your job is to do children's parties you think you'd be better at interacting with children who interrupt your magic show but anyway when she had all the spoons up on the ceiling and then they all fell like that was yeah, i really that, that was it was a it was a good character reveal it was a good yeah, yeah. i like that um yeah so to run them down uh really oh, good cast sorry oh, wait I have I have a couple more. I got a couple more silver oh, linings. 
I liked that there was a shout out to Oscar the therapy cat, which is a real thing. Uh, which is sort of what they were doing with the cat, which I'm sure Stephen King was aware of. Of uh, There was a real cat that like got a lot of press probably around the time that he was writing it for uh, it would actually do that. Like in, it lived in a retirement home and it would tend to spend time with uh, patients that were close to death. So that's real. And that was cool. I also don't want to forget that the fact that uh, they styled Rebecca Ferguson to look like the lead singer of the four non blondes. And I loved that about it. So <laughs> don't want to forget I, that. I, I can't believe I didn't see that until you just said it. But that is so accurate. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure Crow Daddy had some uh, Johnny Depp influences in his appearance as well. But uh, A plus styling on on the whole gang, really. But yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think to review our silver linings, we got the cast was really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Stryken got to speak on camera. That yep. was really great. Yep. Um, it did a good job of marrying the book and the movie to make the sequel. I think those are those are pretty strong silver linings. Yeah, I we, think. Well, and also the and the therapy cat and the, the styling. Cat. And the styling in general of everybody, you know. Yeah. And the names. But the, I mean, that's that's a Stephen. But like Rose the Hat, Crow yeah. Daddy. All great. great names. Yeah. I mean, they almost like it verges on they're almost too likable. The villains of the movie. <laughs> like, you know, if they, maybe that's why they linger on the child murder so long, because otherwise you'd be like, they, they seem pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Because there's Snakebite Andy and Barry the Chunk. Barry the Chunk. Yes. <laughs> Sounds and, like and, a really fucked up line from Goonies, honestly. And Carl Stryken was Grandpa Flick. Great yeah. names. Oh, yeah. Great A plus. names. Which Stephen King is usually pretty good at that, all things considered. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are, I think, I think, uh, I would say this is probably ranks towards the top of the movies that we've looked at on the podcast. I'd say that's in fair. In quality. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Tall Hill to Climb. We're looking at you, a good day to die hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's still the worst, right? That's got to be the worst movie that we watched. Yeah. Van Helsing's close. Um, We've, yeah, Jaws the Revenge, pretty terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I think all that's left to do is uh, you just got to hit him with our classic sign off Justice for Carl Striken. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey, this is Chris. And this is Joe from the Curioso Podcast. And we give our stamp of Curioso approval to the podcast that you're listening to right now. 